Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Australasian Society of Intellectual Disability Research to Practice podcast. This podcast was recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples. This episode explores current research projects about LGBTIQA plus people with intellectual disability. First, we chat to Dr Lizzie Smith and her peer researcher Catherine Bartlett about their work called Rainbow Me, which explored the ways that disability and LGBTIQA plus services support equal access to relationships and activities for adults with intellectual disability. Later in the episode, we will hear from Dr Amy O'Shea, who discusses a few of her projects, including her current research, which looks at the lived experience of LGBTQIA plus people with disabilities. On a wet and windy day, I met with Dr Lizzie and Catherine to talk about their project, Rainbow Me. My background is in sexuality and gender research. So I did my PhD in sex work and then I, I was the lead author of a project called From Blues to Rainbows and that was looking at the mental health of transgender and gender diverse young people. After that I moved to the Living with Disability Research Centre. How I met Lizzie is a few years ago on a project um, research about decision making and then I didn't do it and now I I decided I want to learn and gain knowledge in the LGBTIQ space for myself and others and, and this job come up and I applied for it with Lizzie and I got it and I I firstly assist Lizzie and Tessa um ask people questions other people with a disability um questions on LGBTIQ how it them feel being disability and LGBTIQ with a little cards in that. Catherine and I are involved in a project called Rainbow Me. So that is looking at the enablers and barriers of social inclusion of LGBTQ adults with intellectual disability. The project is a collaboration between the Living with Disability Research Centre and the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society, also known as ARCHES. The both research centres are at La Trobe University. So there's myself, so Lizzie Smith, and then um, we have Associate Professor Anthony Lyons and Dr Jennifer Power, both from ARCHES, and also um, Professor Christine Bigby from Leeds is also involved. Then we have Tessa, uh, who is our research assistant, and Catherine, who is our research consultant. So it's a, it's a big team. 
We're interested in exploring the ways that disability and LGBTIQ services and spaces promote and enable equal access to relationships and activities. Those kinds of relationships and activities that are available to everybody else. So it's basically a scoping project um, where we want to have a look to see first what is out there. So we've undertaken a systematic uh, literature review. A systematic review aims to synthesise and summarise the existing evidence and knowledge about a specific topic. It does so by formulating a question and then identifies, selects and critically appraises all relevant research that has been done on this topic. At the time of the interview, Lizzie and the team had been preparing the systematic review for publishing. We spoke about some of the key findings and common themes. The systematic review looked at nine published articles from between 2014 and 2019 that looked at the social inclusion of disability services of LGBTIQA adults with an intellectual disability. The review will be published later in 2020. So let's hear more about the study's findings. The nine papers that we looked at, a common theme across them was that having access to LGBTIQ peers is hugely important. LGBTIQ staff in disability services was mentioned, but a few of the articles talked about how for people with intellectual disability, it was that was less important than having access to other people with intellectual disability who are also LGBTIQ. So we found that services need to be actively committed um, to increasing the inc this inclusion and that this, um, this, is, this needs to be a whole of organisation change that needs to occur. Um, so right down from the staff but also parents, um, other people with intellectual disability in the organisation as well as at that policy procedure level. And the third main finding from our systematic review was that we found that disability services really need to facilitate environments where people can develop positive self-identities in relation to both gender and sexuality. So obviously that encompasses having access to other people who sh might share their identities as well. Um, but also in terms of things like respectful relationship training, inclusive sexuality education, training of staff to you know maybe visual things like wearing lanyards that they're displaying the rainbow flag to show that it's an inclusive space so again that kind of comes back to that whole of organization after completing the systematic review lizzie and the team have been evaluating what people in disability organizations know about policy for lgbtiqa plus people with an intellectual disability we've been undertaking key informant interviews with people who work in either disability services or in the LGBTIQ spaces and also people who know about that intersection so where disability and LGBTIQ knowledge intersect. Uh, so we've undertaken about 13 interviews so far and the other interviews that we're doing are with people with intellectual disability who are LGBTQ or gender diverse. And this is about their experiences of inclusion and exclusion in either disability spaces, so like in group homes or in supported employment places like that, or at LGBTIQ events or services as well. 
So to do that, we have been using photos, um, so images, which is a photo elicitation technique. We would like to get at least 15, I think would be a good number. As you can imagine, it's quite a hidden cohort um, and there's a lot of barriers that people have in terms of identifying in general and then also gaining access to things like being able to participate in research like this as well. Catherine is a peer researcher which in this context means that she is a person with a lived experience of disability and is part of a larger research team. She is a co-facilitator with the focus groups and also interviews with one person along with Dr Lizzie or the research assistant Tessa. Catherine tells us about the images that she uses as supports in the interviews and focus groups. Well, say the photos and ask them question how it feels, what it is told, what it means to them and stuff like that and then tell us the answer is not right or wrong answer, it's just what the pictures mean to them. One of them is a rainbow flag and and it, yeah, it does that and the one of them is a, a rally. Since recording this episode, Dr Lizzie has let us know that they are still recruiting LGBTIQA plus adults with intellectual disability for interviews. However, these will need to be conducted online until COVID-19 restrictions are lifted. Once Dr Lizzie and the team have finished their interviews, they'll be doing the data analysis for the project and will be writing up academic articles. The articles will be made more accessible by having them translated into easy English. She goes on to explain the next step to the project and future research. What we're hoping to do is to develop some kind of intervention that we can bring to disability services. So that might take more research to get more information about what that might look like. Because as I said, it would be good if it could be a whole of organisation intervention as well. In terms of LGBTIQ spaces and events, then it would be great to take our findings straight to the people who are the decision makers in those spaces and further collaboration as well with people with intellectual disability who are LGBTIQ and including all of those groups. We would like to have a, a steering committee made up of representatives from these different groups to oversee the project as well. So that would hopefully be what happens in further research. Dr Lizzie gave us her contact details in case listeners have any further questions. We will link to her contact details in the show notes. Next, we will hear from Dr. Amy O'Shea about her research projects. Let's hear a bit about Dr. Amy and how she got into this work. I'm working at Deakin University in beautiful Geelong at the Waterfront Campus. And I do work there, which is around research and teaching in disability and inclusion. I teach in the undergraduate program, including a first-year unit for students from a really wide range of courses, including OT, psychology and education. When I did my PhD, which was with young women with intellectual disability, sexuality was something that kept coming up as really important in people's lives. People were telling me that it mattered to them. 
And during that time, one of my supervisors was Patsy Frawley, who really encouraged me to keep working and focusing on the area of sexuality. And so since then, that's really been the focus of my research over the last decade. I've learned a lot about how actually sexuality is just intrinsic to being human. It's a way to think about rights and lived experiences for people with intellectual disability in all of their lives. So, you know, myself as a member of the LGBTIQ community, I know that sexuality is not just an add-on. It's essential. It's about how you know yourself and how you want to live your life. We caught up with Dr Amy to hear about some of her projects. One of the projects that we spoke about was adapting the Sexual Lives and Respectful Relationships Programme for people who were LGBTIQA plus and had an intellectual disability. So in that research, I collected stories from LGBTIQA people with intellectual disability and we included those stories in an adapted version of the Sexual Lives and Respectful Relationships Program, which was targeted just for LGBTIQ people with intellectual disability. We ran that in partnership with Inclusion Melbourne and Southeastern Centre Against Sexual Assault. And our idea in doing that was to make sure that the program reflected and included all people with intellectual disability. In the program, we were able to separate out ideas of sex and gender, to make sure that our language that we use was inclusive of all genders and sexual identities, and to separate out ideas of sexuality, sexual activity and relationships. I think that Sexual Lives and Respectful Relationships itself over the last decade has really pioneered work in the area of peer education and has really shown through the adaptation of this idea in other projects that people with intellectual disability can be much more than just passive recipients of education or empty vessels that need to be filled up. They can be agents, leaders, people taking action in their own community to inform others around the ideas and things that are important to them. This project was completed in 2018 and we will link to the study and resources in the show notes. When we spoke earlier this year, Dr Amy told us about her current research project using philanthropic funding to look at the experiences of LGBTQIA plus people with a disability. We've involved a team of four peer researchers who are also themselves LGBTIQ people with disability. And they ran focus groups with their peers and then worked collaboratively with myself and another researcher on the analysis to make some sense of key themes in people's lives. We had initially thought that we would work with one research assistant. There is so much to tell under the story of sexual and gender identity and disability that by reaching out to people who had a range of disabilities, so amongst the the research team there were people with sensory, physical and neurodiverse disabilities, which meant that we were able to capture and understand the range of disability conditions that much better. People talked about the kind of structural and institutional barriers that they faced, and they also talked about internalised homophobia and internalised ableism. But they also told these really great stories about the value of found communities. So a lot of that time was online. People were finding their communities um, in, in real life or online, and celebrating those as places where identities were valued and people felt appreciated and celebrated. What we've seen from people's stories and their experiences is that there's this extra layer of minority stress that people experience when they have multiple oppressions. So in this case we were looking at disability and sexual or gender identity. Dr Amy talked with us about the impact of this research and what it means for the community and the practitioners working with people with an intellectual disability. 
I feel really excited over the last even just four or five years to finally be able to have these conversations about um, diverse sexual and gender identities for people with intellectual disability. For a long time, I tried to talk about it and nobody would listen. And what's really exciting now is that people are asking questions like yours and people are interested in this podcast and they're interested in paying attention to the whole of the person that they work with. Our industry has changed so much. We've seen the introduction of the NDIS and what I want to see in the future and what I think it means for all of us is that we need to make sure that sexuality and relationship rights are given just as much attention and just as much value as any other part of people's lives. And that means that people working in the sector are also skilled and ready to respond. Why do you think this change has happened? Why are people now ready to discuss this when they weren't, say, 10 years ago? I would like to to think in part it has to do with the kind of advocacy that has come from within self-advocacy organisations such as Reinforce and SARU and the way that they've now been able to set up rainbow rights, which means that there has been a push from within the self-advocacy and the voices of people with intellectual disabilities to pay attention to this part of their lives. Uh, I hope that in part it's also the kind of evidence that we've been able to collect through our own research to date, including sexual lives and respectful relationships, where we've been able to build an evidence base and demonstrate that people are not just passive, not just victims of, of all of these ideas that are put on top of them, but can be active, can be agents, can help others, can reflect on really complex identities and engage with the communities that they are justly part of. It's really interesting hearing some of the really experienced disability LGBTIQ advocates tell their story and and they talk about not being let into gay venues because it looked like they were drunk or not being able to physically get into the venue because access wasn't thought about. And I think as a broader community but as an LGBTIQ community we've improved in how we think about access. I think we've still got work to do and one of the things we've learned about is the complexity of access and the risk of saying that access is provided when it means such a large number of really fluid things to different people. But we are more conscious of it. But I think as an LGBTIQ community, we have a sense of wanting to include everybody that's part of our community. It's great to hear that. We've still got barriers to break down, particularly in terms of social clubs and things like that, which are often so inaccessible in so many different ways. Your initial findings, what would you like to see happen? There's been a few things that people have made really clear to us that matter to them in terms of how disability is understood in the LGBTIQ community and service sector and then how sexual and gender identity is understood in the disability sector. So for for people in both spaces, what unfortunately was a common experience was not feeling completely seen. So feeling like in one environment I needed to hide this part of myself and then in the other environment I would need to hide the other part of myself. So creating spaces within disability sector and service system and then similarly within the LGBTIQ service system and community which are able to see and accept and celebrate the whole of people is a really important step and perhaps that begins with thinking about physical access and thinking about Auslan interpreters, but it needs to extend much more deeply into how we can celebrate the whole of a person. Since recording this episode, Dr Amy and her team have completed this project. They are hoping to launch it later this year so people can stay in touch with Pride Foundation Australia on Facebook 
to hear more about that. Dr Amy tells us about her next project. I'm excited to say that we have a new project launching in this area soon. It's a partnership between Deakin University, Thorn Harbour Health and Inclusion Melbourne and we've received a grant for three years to look at the development of information resources for LGBTIQ people with intellectual disability. So we're going to be going about that working collaboratively with people to co-create and co-design the resources. So stay tuned everyone and if anyone is interested in hearing more feel free to get in touch. We have a website which is www.slrr.com.au or you can send me an email on amie.oshea at deacon.edu.au. Since recording the podcast, Dr Amy has informed us that although they have ethics approval, they have delayed the start of active recruitment for people to participate in the project. If you are interested in participating in it, then you can contact Dr Amy. We will link to her contact details and social media information in the show notes. We look forward to hearing the results from that project. Maybe Dr Amy can come back on the podcast in a few years to tell us about it. Thanks to Dr Lizzie, Catherine and Dr Amy for talking to us about their research. Thanks so much for joining us for Episode 2 of Season 3. You can subscribe to the ACID Research to Practice podcast via iTunes, Stitcher or anywhere you find good podcasts. Keep up to date with all things ACID on Twitter via the handle at acid underscore ltd, on Facebook at acid.asn.au or via the website acid.asn.au. Or better yet, become a member and enjoy access to a number of the publications and benefits. Just go to our website acid.asn.au. This episode was produced by Sophia Tipping, Buffy Gorilla, Emily Churchill, Gordon Duff, Yang Lee and Hilary Johnson.